It's time for Cadillac on Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac on Call, here's Jim Hall. Good evening, friends. Welcome to Cadillac on Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation. On today's program, what it's been like on the front lines during the COVID pandemic. As we move into the third fall season of COVID, we're going to take stock of where we are and where we've been with the virus that has killed more than 100 people in our country and more than 700 in our region. It comes as Catholic Regional Medical Center honors its caregiver workforce with the dedication of a bronze plaque on the hospital campus. Later in our program, Catholic doctors and nurses from the emergency department and intensive care unit hear their heartfelt and sobering accounts of working at the bedside, taking care of very sick patients. First, a consistent and trusted voice throughout the pandemic for this program and our public health community, we have Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, the seasons have changed and fall is now upon us. What's most important in your mind regarding the current state of the pandemic and what we can expect going into the future? Well, I think it's important for us to look at what is our current data looking like right now, which, again, is trending the direction we like it to. Our numbers are low. Our hospitalizations are low. Um, So evidence right now shows that, oh, COVID hasn't gone away, but it isn't having the devastating effects on our community and our medical system as as it has over the past couple of years. But again, it's fall. We know the season's changing. Lives are changing, activities are changing, and along with that comes um, some predictable spikes that now that we've been following this for a couple of years, we know that going into the fall-winter months, we expect to see spikes. And we see that in other illnesses, such as influenza. We always see that influenza spike in the winter. Well, we now, um, from watching COVID, definitely see that COVID spike in the winter as well. So as we said, you know, especially the last few weeks is we're getting a lot more relaxed in how we're conducting our lives. The data is going the right direction, but it is so important to remember that COVID still exists and it is still one of the highest, um, you know, it's one of the reasons more people are dying in America than many other reasons. I believe it's still like third in the U.S. for for causing death. So we know that it's a very serious virus. We know it can have devastating effects. And right now, it seems to be quiet. But again, winter, things change. Plus, um, in the world of public health, as we're watching variant strains and you know, what is the virus doing? How is it changing? We still have to be very um, conscientious and watch the data, watch the trends, watch what the genetics of this virus are saying to know, are we going to have another spike like we did when Omicron hit last January? So we can't let our, our guards down as a community and as an individual, and we certainly can't let our guards down in the world of public health because it's our job to stay on top of the data and then message our community so that they can be prepared to do what's necessary should we start seeing spikes again. School has been back in session for, what, about a month now. Has there been any kind of data showing one way or another relative to COVID in our schools? 
You know, we're definitely seeing school-related outbreaks. Um, Typically, it's being in the staff, and that's where it usually starts. But we're definitely seeing it in the classroom environment as well because mitigation strategies have decreased. We're not seeing kids wearing masks. Um, You know, people are letting their guard down, and we're going to expect to see an increase in transmission. I think what's important, though, to remember is we need to look at all of this data And what's it doing to our medical system? Is it starting to stress our medical system? And we hate to wait to the point of a critical shortage of beds or providers to suddenly start to change our our actions and how we're responding to the virus. So, again, we're looking at each individual person and family member in our community to continue to be very conscientious about what they're doing to take care of themselves and others so that we don't end up in one of those critical situations again. One of the one of the things that has st- struck me throughout the pandemic is is when people get covid, some will say, "Well, I had a mild case," and others it it hits them quite severely. Is that is that what has made this a little bit tricky and that some people, you know, they kind of just wave it off, oh, it's nothing more than a than a bad cold, but yet, you know, there are people I know uh, that are still getting pretty severe impacts from a COVID diagnosis. You're exactly right, Jim, and I think that's what we're finding out more and more with COVID as uh, medical researchers and scientists have been able to study the long-term effects of COVID, plus you know, the short-term, what does it do in this person's body versus another person's body, and, and we're all made up slightly different genetically, and in any given disease situation, there are reasons why two people, three people could be exposed to the exact same organism and everybody have a bit of a different response because we are all genetically different. We do respond genetically differently to um, exposure to viruses and, and COVID's exactly the same. So we'll see people who can get exposed to COVID and seem to never catch it. And there's some interesting research coming out about, you know, genetically, why is that? Why is it that a person can live in a family unit, everybody else in the family catches COVID, but that one person doesn't? And there are some studies that have begun um, to look at the reasons why. Why not? Um, Then we look at, you know, why do some people become severely ill? Well, it's the same thing, whether it's the common cold or influenza or any other illness that comes along, everybody responds different. And you can't really predict necessarily how you're going to respond. And and you hate to be that person or that family member who, well, I, I didn't think it was going to be severe. And then you just happen to be the one that it, it is severe illness causing. And then we move into the, the long COVID and some of the data and the studies coming out with long COVID, um, again, when it comes to viral infections, we know historically how devastating they can be to many body systems. And the longer we've been following COVID, the more we realize, yep, COVID does some pretty damaging things to a variety of body systems. And um, there are experts like the American Academy of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation who are looking at this and hoping to come out with some guidelines to help mitigate the symptoms that these people with long COVID are experiencing. But we're so early in COVID 
realistically that we still have a lot more questions than we do answers, and, and the research just needs to be ongoing. And with the long COVID, is, is it similar to what we have just described, that, that it, someone may have a mild case of COVID but then has longer COVID symptoms, uh, or, or, or are we seeing any kind of data showing uh, there's a, a way that it progresses? Well, we're seeing people who had very severe illness get over it and not struggle with long COVID symptoms. We're seeing other people who maybe had a more mild case, but they're still complaining of shortness of breath, fatigue, that brain fog. There's also evidence that, uh, very strong evidence that in the year after you have COVID, you may have gotten over it, but there's a higher rate of blood clots formed in people who have historically had a COVID infection within the last few months to a year. And so it's that kind of data that the longer we're researching it, the longer we're following it, the better picture we'll be able to put together and then hopefully come up with strategies to help improve the life of those people. So as we get move into the fall, uh, we're in a pretty good spot, right? We're in a pretty good spot. Let's keep it that way. And again, it, it's going to take efforts on everybody's part. Um, continue the home testing. Um, CBC West test site is still open. We um, saw a slight decrease in the positivity rate out there. But we're still seeing, you know, 26 or so percent of people testing out there are testing positive. Those home test kits are a really good tool to help guide your family Consider the environment you're in. Consider who you're going to go visit. Is this the time to return to wearing those masks and really watching your hand washing and anything you can do to help prevent that real vulnerable person who is not going to likely have a good outcome to COVID? We just don't want them to be infected. Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. As always, thanks so much for your time. More information at bfhd.wa.gov. More of Cadillac on Call right after this. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Cadillac on Call presented by the Cadillac Foundation. Earlier this week, a ceremony was held at Cadillac Regional Medical Center dedicating a bronze plaque in honor of the more than 3,800 Cadillac caregivers who have worked so tirelessly for nearly the past three years to care for patients, COVID and otherwise. The plaque was paid for through donations to the Cadillac Foundation, the Tri-Cities Cancer Center Foundation, and the Community Mission Board of Cadillac Regional Medical Center, along with leaders of the Cadillac Executive Team. With us now is Dr. John Matheson, who is the Medical Director of the Cadillac Emergency Department. He was one of the speakers at the dedication. And Dr. Matheson, I guess first question for you as you spoke and heard other colleagues share their perspectives of the past two and a, two and a half years. What was going through your mind? Oh, uh, quite a bit. You know, I think we are, have been in this pandemic and, and we move through and, and often think about what's in front of us at the moment. And uh, it was a moment to pause and look back and, and really reflect on you know, two and a half years of of this particular uh, 
situation and what we've been dealing with. And I thought back to how different it was in the early days from, from what it is now. And so that was, I think, an important time to just pause and, and reflect. Let's go to the early days. What was, what was the biggest challenge as a, as a, as a physician, as a leader of an emergency department? Was it just the, perhaps the, what you didn't know as, a, as opposed to what you did know? Exactly. I think it was the unknown. We train and prepare for a lot of circumstances. And this came and, and we knew what it was doing, but we didn't know exactly how this was going to play out, how long it was going to last. We didn't know uh, who was going to be involved next, how, how much risk there was for us and for our families. Um, early on, I, I think I was involved in a few interviews and, and talked about how frustrating it was to feel almost like an observer. We, we recognized the illness. We could provide supportive care, but we didn't have a lot of tools to really you know, do as much as we wanted. And we would really, as I say, be an observer and watch as this progressed. And that was very challenging. We are, we are action-oriented people who are used to fixing things, and, uh, and, and, it was, and it was hard. And then there was the uncertainty of you know, when going to work and not knowing, is this going to affect me and my family? Am I going to bring it home to my family? My colleagues, as the the medical director running the emergency department, I I certainly was concerned about my patients and and all of our patients in the community, but I was concerned about the caregivers who were working tirelessly and and putting themselves at risk as well. Um, And, of course, we've seen that change over time to now just the the ongoing relentlessness of, of this and, and we've seen secondary effects of, of what it's done to resources available in healthcare and, and staffing and so forth. And so it's really evolved and, and the challenges we see as the illness itself has changed with different variants, uh, uh, but also the impact on our community, the impact on our caregivers, the impact on the entire healthcare system. You mentioned the uncertainty in the early parts of the pandemic, and then it seemed to give way more to just the sheer volume of COVID patients that were coming into the ER and coming into the hospital. Yes, it uh, was affecting a large number of individuals, and many of them very, very ill. And so that was plumbing portions of our healthcare system. At the same time, there were many people who were not accessing care for fear of the illness. And so while we were seeing large, large numbers of people with COVID, overall we we had numbers of other types of patients go down significantly. Uh, and unfortunately, some of them ignoring important uh, symptoms and, and not getting the care they needed and allowing other illnesses that had nothing to do with COVID to progress. And so we saw the impact went well beyond just the disease of COVID. And, 
And as I catch myself right now talking about COVID almost in the past tense, it is not over. <laughs> we are still in this. Uh, and so that should be clear as well, although we are starting to um, get more accustomed to it and, and, and adjust to it. But it is not over. And, and one of the challenges I know is just because the strain in other parts of the hospital, primarily up on intensive care unit in the acute care floors, there were many times where it just became such a bottleneck of patients that you you had patients in the ER that needed to be on a floor upstairs in one of the acute care floors. You just didn't have space for them. So there was just this huge game of trying to figure out where to get the patients the right setting, patient care setting. Certainly, hospital care is really a continuum. We are part of that, and from patients who come to the waiting room, who then get into the uh, room in the emergency department, some will go home. Many, uh, though, do need to stay and be hospitalized. And when the available beds or places in the hospital uh, are full, and when other hospitals in the region and throughout the country are facing similar circumstances and don't have space either, uh, those patients who need to be admitted from the emergency department may stay in the emergency department. And then, you know, we are trained to take care of that acute initial phase, uh, but we find ourselves doing the ongoing care, uh, not to mention then trying to figure out how to get to the patients who also need to be seen, but now there's not a room, they may be in the waiting room, et cetera. So uh, certainly has changed things, and, and it's not uh, entirely different from you know what we see now for other reasons as, as resources have become limited and we're, we're still facing some of those challenges. And I know staffing and certainly just the, the demand and, and the stress that it's put on the people within the healthcare system has been a real challenge and put the system in general uh, to, as you described, the, the difficult situation. It is all across the country, but I know I want to end this conversation uh, on the positive, but a lot of wins in during this time as difficult as it has been. Uh, maybe just a reflection on some of the wins in your mind. Well, I think that it has brought out uh, some of the best in people. Uh, I have been honored to work with colleagues. And and when I say colleagues, I refer not just to my physician colleagues, but to nurses, to staff uh, in the hospital who continue to come to work every day despite the challenges that are being faced because they feel this purpose. And it's more than just... Um, I have a job and I'm getting a paycheck. There's there's a real purpose. Uh, caring for patients to easing suffering. I've seen heroic acts, acts of compassion, um, people who have become surrogates for loved ones at critical times in patients' lives. Uh, and I've seen that teamwork and bonding among our team. And it has made me proud to, you know, be in healthcare, proud to work for Cadillac, proud to do what I do. And uh, as challenging as, as some of the things we face are, it keeps me coming to work every day. Well, you are, you and everyone should be commended. And I'd like you to have you just maybe take 30 seconds, if you would, and, and address. You touched on this workforce that certainly the clinical, the people at the front end of the bedside providing that medical care. But I I think what maybe our community uh, hopefully understands is that the team that you describe 
includes so many different people and different types of, of people that have different roles. Absolutely. Uh, uh, I, I, my role is that of a physician, um, but I cannot do that without nurses, without respiratory therapists, without lab workers, without housekeepers, without technicians, without radiology uh, and, and imaging technicians, and so many other people that keep the operation going, and it is a team effort, and, and we need all of them. Well, I just want to conclude on that note, uh, as difficult a time as it's been, and I appreciate you capsulizing two and a half years and about 10 minutes of time, and, and from everybody, I guess, in the community, this plaque I know is, is, a, is an ongoing uh, signature of, of what the community has meant, uh, the people have meant to the people in the community, and on behalf of everybody in the community, thanks to you and all the colleagues at Cadillac Regional Medical Center. Dr. John Matheson, the Medical Director of the Cadillac Emergency Department, back with more right after this. Listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Cadillac on Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation. On today's program, we are honoring the work of caregivers at Cadillac all throughout the health system. This week, a plaque was dedicated to recognize their heroic efforts throughout the past two and a half years. One area of the health system that saw a prolonged challenge with COVID-19 was the intensive care unit. At the height of the pandemic, critically ill COVID patients waged intense battles with the virus, and sadly, the outcome was not always recovery. Here to share his perspective is Dr. Fani Kentamnani, the medical director of the Cadillac Intensive Care Unit. And Dr. Fani, thanks for taking the time uh, you're working tonight, so I appreciate especially that you're uh, taking some time to share your perspective. But as you listen to that introduction, you participated in this dedication yesterday of this bronze plaque. What was going through your mind, and just what, what, are, what are you thinking at this point relative to covid uh, hi, Jim. Thanks for having me. You bet. Yes. Um, uh, at the at the ceremony, you know, the first um, then I was asked to come and talk and share my thoughts. When we look back about um, these last few years and what we have been through, uh, a lot of memories came up. Um, and, you know, we had a lot of fear initially going in. There was a lot of uncertainty. Um, and as, as I was talking, I realized that Everything we did, we, we in the initial phases of the pandemic, we thought uh, we were coming short. So there was a lot of vanity. And um, but I saw something remarkable also happen in Cadillac when day in and day out, when caregivers, nurses, respiratory therapists, physicians, uh, planners, and everyone that when we left our homes and you know uh, looked from a family that is scared, when we came into this hospital. As we crossed those doors, I saw that the fear transformed to hope, and 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 the uncertainty became courage. And I saw my fellow team members show up and do what we signed up for, and none of them quit during the thick of the pandemic. And I think there was a tremendous support from the community, as you uh, mentioned yesterday. 
uh, which so all these memories came back to me, and, and these are these are hard to remember. But again, um, this plaque that was dedicated, uh, I think it is it is a place that we should um, go and 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 try to remember this, what we have been through, and and how far we've come across. So it was really thoughtful of uh, the Catholic Foundation and the donors who who have done this, and I think each caregiver and every every person who has served through this pandemic deserves that. And for those who aren't aware specifically, this plaque is located up on the what's called the seventh floor terrace garden, the ten story Catholic River Pavilion that you can see as you drive into Richland. It is on the seventh floor, where there is a beautiful outdoor garden where folks uh, can actually go and contemplate whether they're patients or visitors or staff members or or, or anyone. And so it's a great location for that reflection. And and finding if you would. Physicians and people that work in healthcare are highly, highly trained. But I would imagine that you probably got uh, some additional education, as did everybody. Uh, just every day was different. Every day was a new experience. So that education wasn't just from what you've learned as a physician, right? Absolutely. So everything that we did during the beginning of the pandemic, we had to invent a few things, and we had to discover a few things. And we learned on the go uh, we had a team who was constantly looking for any kind of literature that was published from different parts of the world. We had a team that was working for infection prevention and tried to teach our nurses and ourselves how to how to wear this, these gowns, uh, the isolation gowns. Um, and as we we usually, as physicians in the intensive care, uh, we meet once every few months to discuss the usual topics. But during the height of the pandemic, we were meeting every week to see what else can we do. How much more can we offer? Um, and what medications can we try that nobody is trying across the world? So it was a race. It was, you know, we, until the vaccines came out, every time we walked into the ICU, every time we had a patient come to the ICU, we had to come up with things and, and try to do the right thing uh, by the patients. And um, I think the first paid off because uh, in, in the beginning of the pandemic at Cadillac, uh, if you look at the number of patients we saved, we were better than national average, if not the same. So just because we had Tri-Cities, a small town in, in Washington, uh, the, the care was, was not subpar. If anything, we did better than most of the places in the country. So I'm, I'm really proud of that. Um, and it's a true team effort, you know, excellent nursing care and an excellent commitment from the physicians and respiratory therapists and, and as such. What was the most difficult part for you? The most difficult part for for me, as I think many providers would agree, is uh, is seeing families uh, not able to come and meet uh, their loved ones in those last moments. For unfortunately, we had to restrict uh, visitation, and to to be at the side of, of a dying patient and and holding their hands and having their loved ones on the phone, that was the most difficult part. Um, I think I think that is what uh, bothers most of us the most uh, when we when we when we think about this whole pandemic. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for asking, Jim. <laughs> I think we are we have all been through uh, through this, but um, I, I like uh, like Ray's. I was saying the other day, our CEO. I think when we when we grow old and think about this, I hope we'll remember the courage that we all uh, had. And I think we will uh, probably uh, 
uh, remiss that we, in the need of our, um, the, the care professionals, caregivers, uh, came in and, and they did what was right. You touched on something uh, that really just stuck stuck with me uh, tonight, and that's that's the comment you made of you know as as challenging it was when 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 all of you would go home and have to leave your families and the unknown of that. But then once you set foot in the hospital uh, to do your job, it, it just kicked in. But talk a little bit about before we let you go, just the support of your family, of the community, of 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 helping people like you to be able to go in and have that committed attitude each day? So I clearly remember one day when I, it was the end of my shift and uh, uh, my, my wife and kids were home like everybody else's in. And I, I had to stop by uh, the York supermarket um, and uh, I was tired. It was a hard day. We had lost a few people and, and whatnot. And uh, I, I was walking through and I was buying some groceries and I was there checking out just, trying to you know, bring my wallet out. But I think, I think the per- because I wanted to get all this out before I went home. And I think uh, the person who was checking me out, the essential worker who was checking my groceries, I think she could see that. And she, she asked me, hey, how you doing? How's the hospital doing? And I think that, that really touched me. And uh, this is the support I'm talking about. The community was supportive. They could see us. They could see the healthcare workers. And the biggest fear, I think, as a healthcare provider, as a doctor, as a nurse that we had was, you know, what, if, what, if, what if your spouse asks you, that, hey, don't do this. We have a family. You know, I don't want you to go get sick or bring illness home. You know, we have a dad at home. We have a kid at home. And and thankfully, none of them did. The spouse, the, the support from families was such that although they had this fear and, and maybe some of them wanted to say it out loud, the majority of them, none of them said anything. And they let us do our job. They supported us and, and the community supported us. So I'm really grateful to that. Well, I think that's a very fitting way to end this conversation. Throughout the pandemic, you've been very gracious with your time to come on periodically to provide context uh, and important information that our community needs to know. And thank you for your service and to that of all of the people uh, serving at Cadillac and especially in the ICU. Dr. Fonti, Fonti Contemdani, the medical director of the Cadillac ICU. And back when we come back, we're going to be visiting with a nurse who works in the ICU, and she's about ready to begin her shift. And we'll do that right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. If you missed any part of our program, Cadillac On Call is available via podcast. Search Cadillac On Call wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. We conclude our spotlight on the dedicated healthcare staff over the past two and a half years of the COVID pandemic with Sonia Karanja, an intensive care unit nurse at Cadillac Regional Medical Center, and she's actually just about to begin her evening shift, her overnight shift in the ICU, and has graciously agreed to join us for a few minutes today. And Sonia, welcome to our program, and as you reflect on COVID from your perspective, what is at the top of your mind? Well, thank you for having me, first of all. And, um, you know, uh, I, we, we all here are happy to, to move on and have our kids in school and, you know, have things open up. But for, for people who lived through, through the COVID experience, especially under our roof here at Cadillac, there are, there's a lot of um, memories and, and pain that, uh, that most of us have had to, 
to push down um, so that we could move forward. And um, and yeah, they it, it's difficult. It's 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 hard to it's hard for us to forget. It's still those memories, the the pain is is still there. But uh, uh, we've we've we have to move forward to take care of the patients that we have now. By the nature of working in the intensive care unit, you see the sickest of the sick. During COVID, it was that times whatever the the factor you want to add to it. Is is that what has made that so difficult for you and your colleagues? Uh, Yeah. You know, as ICU professionals, we are used to seeing people at the worst time in their life. Um, And sometimes we, we can't save them. But overall, we do a really good job and we are able to get people to the outcomes they want. Um, but unfortunately with COVID, um, we were all a little bit in the dark for a while and we didn't, we, we didn't know it was hard to find a way through. And, and many of our patients, um, you know, they, they passed away and many of those patients, uh, as many people know, weren't able to have their family here. So we went from being just, not just being their care providers, um, but being their family and being the connection to their family back at home, wherever they might be. And that's not really something we were trained to do. Um, and it was, it, was, uh, it was an honor, but it was also very difficult. And is that what, as you described, the fact that it's hard to forget some of these memories, is that's probably what contributed to, to, that, to that feeling you're describing? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's difficult to, um, you know, forget being with somebody holding their hand um, or, or once we were able to, to open up watching people, families watch their loved one pass away behind glass. And, you know, those are precautions to protect people and, and um, it were things we had to do, but it was hard. We wouldn't want it for ourselves and, and it's not how we do normally do things and, um, and it, it was just difficult. It's, there, there are memories that are hard to forget and hard um, to leave behind. If you would, is there, uh, and I want to have you maybe a contrast, if you would, just a memory that, that stands out, whether it was a, a, a difficult, something that was a difficult situation or, just, or something that, that, that you just will never forget for, for positive reasons. Um, you know, it's every little, um, it was hard. There was so much negative. So it really was about finding the small things. Um, uh, in the beginning, it was the, the things the community sent to us. Um, uh, elementary school students were making cards and sending those to us. And what a, what an amazing thing to have you know, small children um, sending their love to us. And as we moved forward and after we had a vaccine and and as we were starting to save people, um, well, we would have people in our ICU for months at a time and to actually see them leave, I can't can't really explain how amazing that was to go from we, we don't even know how to escape death to actually finding success to actually letting people go home um, I, you know, that with each one, it was a, it was a, uh, every single person who went home was a, uh, momentous thing for us. 
Talk a little bit about you. You touched on the community, but obviously, and Dr. Fani touched on it as well, is the family support that, that staff has um, in a variety of ways. I mean, there's there's fear in the families when, when all of you go home that, that work in that setting, uh, I'm sure, but you all still went back and answered the call. Yeah, <clears throat> I think it. Um, one of the things that was hardest for me is I had my 12-year-old and the first time that he actually, you know, I mean, they're used to me doing hard things, but the first time they admitted, he admitted to me that he was afraid that I might, you know, give him COVID and he was afraid maybe I would die and if, or could I give it to him and could he die? Um, and, you know, my answer to him was that I do my job very well and I will, I will, I'll protect myself in every way I can. Um, and, you know, I, I told him that. But in my heart, I didn't know. I didn't know. But but it is my job. It's what I'm trained to do. It's what we're all trained to do. Um, and uh, and the other part, you know, in not just bringing COVID home, but um, it was hard how we changed, how we, um, you know, when you were exposed to these terrible things, how do you change as a human being? And and how do you still go home and help them through their uh, online schooling and make quarantine seem like fun um, instead of, uh, you know, the terrible thing it was. So everybody in this building has a family and we did what we did. And then we went home and we tried not to give them COVID and we tried to, uh, you know, leave, leave those feelings here um, and, and be the, you know, the light that we needed to be for our, our families. So really, you never got, I mean, it was probably nice to as, to be able to be with your family, but you had that obligation as well. Yeah, yeah, I think it was, it was um, really hard for, especially for some of our <laughs> night shift nurses. You know, we worked the night shift, and then we went home to help our skid, kids with their uh, online schooling. <laughs> Um, so we were kind of doing, you know, everybody, everybody, everybody was in the community was facing hardships. Sure. Um, but I know that that was an experience that I know from a lot of our night shift nurses that we were, we were pulling double duty, <laughs> you know, we're used to sleeping when our kids go to school, but now, sure. um, now we were on call for, uh, answering, uh, some questions and making kids sure our kids were doing what they needed to do. Well, and I'm sure they did great. If you could take 20 seconds and maybe just end on it, what is it? What has it meant to you to to you're going to work with your colleagues that you've been? To, to, I hate to use the war word, but you've been to battle with nightly for two and a half years. Uh, talk a little bit about the pride you feel. Well, I in speaking with that, I just have to say that actually some of our colleagues aren't here anymore. Um, they either. Uh, couldn't you know they either got covid or they um the the work was backbreaking or they got injured or um they just needed to move on for their own well-being but for the the ones that are here um it's i don't know how to express but you know they are they are my family and we share something that um is hard to explain to other people and i'm just grateful they're here and um i know what we're capable of well, I know our entire community is grateful. You and all of your colleagues are here. And thank you so much for taking some time to be with us. And I hope you have a, a whatever the word normal means to you, a, a, <laughs> a, a good night in the ICU. Sonia, thanks so much for your time. Thank you.
And thank you to all our guests. It's uh, been a wonderful evening to reflect, and we appreciate all of the support throughout the community. We'll talk again next week.